Amen. You may be seated. As you're taking your seats, I would ask you to take your Bibles out. And as you're taking your Bibles out, or if you're looking in your bulletin, you've got many of the verses that we will be reading together this morning. There will be some more, Lord willing, but you have those there. And if you take your Bibles, if, you're not, if you don't have that bulletin, turn to Genesis, Genesis chapters 1, 2, and 3. Food. What do we do with it? Eat it, of course, right? Food, we eat it. It seems like a silly question. What do we do with food? It seems like a simple answer. We eat it, right? Silly question, simple answer. And yet, have you noticed how something that is so incredibly common, that is food, and something that is so essential and regular, that is eating, how something so common and so regular can be, at times, so complicated. The, the whole idea of food and how you prepare it and how, how it's provided for us and what we do with it and what foods to eat and how we, how we eat them and how regularly we eat them, all that can get very, very complicated. And then throw in a pandemic and it only seems to make matters worse, more complex. From the seemingly, seemingly trivial, have I run out of all my pandemic snacks yet, to, to the, the very serious, farmers having to destroy animals and crops because of disrupted food supply lines and, and, and distribution patterns. From the average American having to now cook a lot more, a lot more at home, to restaurants that are struggling to hang on. I read, I believe this uh, yesterday or the day before, that according to the North Carolina Restaurant and Lodging Association, only 35% of restaurant owners in North Carolina have indicated that they think that they can stay afloat past two months of being shut down or limited in their service. Only 35%. From, from Wuhan wet markets to a predicted 50% of North Carolina restaurants that are on the bubble or more to potential famines in over a dozen countries due to disruptive food chains, drought, and even locusts. Eating food is complex. And you throw in, on top of uh, all those pandemic twists, all of our old privileged battles over diets. Which ones are the best? It, it, it's, it's keto best. Is paleo best? Is going vegetarian best? Is going vegan best? Uh, it, the South Beach, uh, Mediterranean, what's, what's right? Throw it all together. And it's a complex mess. It's sort of like, it reminds me of a, an elementary school cafeteria food fight, to put it mildly. And for all we think we know about food and eating, we don't know what really to do with it. And, and even as, as Christians, sadly for the average Christian, um, our biblical understanding of food probably is, is limited to basically two things. We, we know not to be gluttonous. We shouldn't overeat. 
And we know we probably ought to help feed the poor. And beyond that, we probably haven't thought biblically about food, about fasting, about feasting, hardly at all. And as I listened over the past couple of Sundays to Nathan's sermons as he, he, as he dealt with the wonderful blessing of Sabbath and, and in so doing took us to the beginning pages of Holy Scripture, it struck me as odd that we have such a problem with food. It struck me as odd because I don't know if you noticed, not only do we have in Genesis 1 and 2 uh, that wonderful word about Sabbath, but we have a whole lot about food. About food. And so today I want us to begin a short series, and this, Lord willing, will be the last of these short series that have been an answer and somewhat answer to some of the dilemmas we are facing during a time of pandemic. I want us to begin a short series dealing with food, dealing with fasting, dealing with feasting, and why it even matters for you right now in the middle of a pandemic, and why it matters to us who are believers who are longing for Christ's return in the new heavens and the new earth, which are also pictured for us as what? A great, glorious banquet the marriage supper of the Lamb. So where do we begin to develop a biblical theology of food, of fasting and feasting? We begin with the beginning. Genesis chapter 1. Give your attention to the reading of God's Word, beginning with verse 29. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit, and you shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, and everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for what? Food. And it was so. And God said, everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it God rested from all of His work that He had done in creation. And the Lord God, going down to verse 8, and the Lord God planted a garden in Eden, in the east. And there He put the man whom He had formed. Get the picture of what Genesis is painting for us. This glorious creation that God has brought order in the chaos, that God has filled, that God has lit. This glorious creation has this, as it were, a mountainous plateau. And this mountainous plateau is known as Eden. And in the east of this mountainous plateau, God places a garden. A garden. The Lord God took the man and He put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it, verse 15. 
And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. And I skip verse 9. See verse 9. And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Again, this morning we're starting a two-part series, Lord willing, about food, fasting, and feasting. And we're going to be dealing with some of the major passages of Scripture, beginning with this one. And in between, Lord willing, I'm hoping to do several short devotions that we will record for you about other passages in Old Testament and New Testament really dealing with food. And so with it all, I'm praying that we will be drawn not to just have full bellies, but that we will be drawn to a greater love for our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So let's dive in. First of all, I want us to see food before the fall and what God says about food before the fall and two things that we can draw from what we have just read. The first thing I see in verse 31, verse 31 of chapter 1. And God saw everything that He had made and behold, it was very good. Now, in the past, I have in my mind read that passage and put verse 31 right after God's creation of Adam and Eve and God's giving Adam and Eve creation mandates to fill the earth and to have dominion over it. And I have just in my mind jumped down to verse 31. But as I was looking back at this passage while Nathan was preaching that series on the Sabbath, it struck me. God doesn't give this wonderful benediction and say, all this is very good right after the creation of man, does he? No, he says it after what? After he has said that not only has he created all things, including man, he provides for his creation. And he provides what? Food. Food. Food for animals and food for man. And it is then that he makes this wonderful pronouncement. And God saw everything, and that would include the food. Everything that he had made, and behold, It was very good. What does that tell us? It tells us that God takes delight not only in the stars, not only in the planets, not only in the mountains, not only in the oceans, not only in the birds, not only in the fish, not only in the animals, not only in man, but God takes delight in His creation of food. God delights in food. The image is like if you've ever planted a garden. And, and, and you, you've had a blessed, good year. And that garden is just full of vegetables. The green bean vines are loaded down. My grandfather would have had rattlesnake green beans, and they were fabulous. Uh, the, the squash are there, and they're beautiful, if you like squash. 
The okra is there. The corn is there. Tomatoes are there. Right. And that gardener looks out over that garden and he looks out with pride. Pride upon the bounty and the beauty. God looks out upon all of His creation, including food, and He delights in it. It's also like a chef who's created a great meal. And the chef, she has a smile on her face as she plates the dishes because she knows how glorious it is. God takes delight in food. God takes delight in the food that He has created for man and for animals. And if God does, His image bearers should. We should, you should, take delight in food. Yes, take delight in it. You should take delight and you should be growing. We should be growing in our appreciation for all of God's creation, for all of God's blessings. We should be growing in our appreciation for the, the wave that crashes on a sandy white beach. We should be growing in our appreciation of the mountain trail and the fir trees and the mountain trail going up to a majestic peak. We, we should take delight when that golden retriever runs across the yard filled with happiness. Happiness to give. We should be growing in our appreciation for such things. And let me put it this way. We should be growing in our appreciation for majestic biscuits and for ripe, juicy peaches. We should be growing and taking delight in such good gifts from our God. To not appreciate food It's an offense against a gracious Creator who delights in the food that He gives to His people. And when somebody doesn't appreciate food, it tells us at least one of two things. Either they have hearts that are filled not with gratitude but ingratitude, or they are sick and dying. Take delight. It's the first thing I see in verse 31. Second thing I see is back in verses 29 and 30, where God tells us He is the one who's providing the food, right? And did you notice He tells us about two types of food? Two types of food. He tells us about plants that are yielding seed, and think there of those things that, that, that are the stuff of gardens. That, that require the, the need of a gardener. Plants yielding seed, but also trees bearing fruit. And think there of the imagery of an orchard that uh, needs you less. And both, we're told, are gifts of God to His people, underscoring our total dependence upon Him. Our total dependence upon Him. Our total dependence upon the God who gifts His people and His creation with food. Food that maybe we haven't labored at all for. Like those plums of my childhood that were on the plum tree of a friend's house that was there on the edge of a pasture. Nobody did anything 
with that tree. And year after year, there were glorious plums. Or the fruit or the vegetables that came from my grandfather's farm and from his garden and came in abundance through all of his efforts. And I should see that both are the gifts of a gracious, kind, and loving God. So I should, from Genesis 1, have started my theology of food, my theology of food, then fasting, then feasting, and where I start is delight and thanksgiving. Delight and thanksgiving. And I am reminded of some passages from the New Testament. The Lord Jesus, on the night in which He was betrayed, took bread, and when He had given thanks, He broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And the chapter before, we're told, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. Take delight, bringing glory to God. Give thanks, bringing glory to God. That's the start. But it doesn't end there. We move into chapter 2. And in chapter 2, we see work, we see food, we see rest, we see fasting, and we see feasting. First of all, we see in chapter 2 a divinely given cycle, a divinely given vocation, and a a divinely given feast. A divinely given cycle. Notice what's going on in chapter 2. After the creation of man, man is to do what? He is to obey out of faith in his heart, out of love in his heart for his God. He is to obey the commands of God. And God has said to be fruitful and multiply and have dominion over all creation. And we come down and we see uh, the specific task that he has given. We see that in verse 15. He is to work. But he's not only to work, there's, there's a cycle. There's work and then there is being able to enjoy the fruit of your work. That is, eating. There's work, there's eating, and then as Nathan brought out over those past two uh, sermons, there is what? Resting. There is Sabbath. So built in to your humanity into this world is this cycle of work, eat, rest. Work, eat, Rest, work, eat, rest. And that's built in to our daily cycle and it's built in gloriously to a weekly cycle where we work and we eat and then on that great day, that Sabbath day, we rest and we feast. It's a divinely given cycle. I'm reminded of New Testament passages like if anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. And I'm reminded of what Jesus said, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. It's a divinely given cycle, it's a divinely given vocation. And what is that vocation? Look at verse 15 again. The Lord God took the man and he put him in the garden of Eden and he gives him two tasks. Notice what they are. To work it and keep it. To work and keep. To work and keep. Picture in your mind two tools. The garden hoe and the sword. 
the garden hoe to work the garden, that that garden might produce great bounty, but also the sword to protect, to keep what you're doing. And that's a God-reflecting work. And it's an, it's an enemy battling keeping, isn't it? If we hadn't already read before in our lifetimes, chapter 3, this verse actually gives us a, a, a glimpse that there, that there could be danger ahead. Because not only is Adam called to work the garden, he's got to keep it, he's got to protect it. And so something evil this way comes. Work and keep. And that working and keeping is worship. For Adam and Eve are placed in a garden temple as priests unto the Lord. And also we have it's a, a divinely given feast. Notice verse 9 again. And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. You see, the, the glorious garden, gift of God to Adam and Eve, would yield a glorious and beautiful and delicious bounty, food. Now there's two things about this. Two things that God says. Food that would be what? Pleasant to the eyes. Feasting, and I think this is, this is really describing for us feasting. Feasting means paying attention. Paying attention to what's being prepared, paying attention to what you have to eat. Feasting is a paying attention. It's a, it's a noticing. It says seeing the beauty. Feasting requires attention. Feeding does not. And Adam and Eve are getting prepared for a great feast, and even before that great feast, they're feasting on the bounty of the garden. It's pleasant to the sight, but it's also, notice, good for food. We're told it's good. The, the fruit of these plants and of these trees, it's good. And Adam and Eve created the image of God, Servants of the Lord, priests in the garden temple would have said, yes and amen, Lord, we trust your word, but we will also taste and see, and we will see that it is good, and we will rejoice. These are the words of feasting. To feast means to enjoy with unusual attention, pleasure, and delight in food. Divinely given cycle, divinely given um, vocation, a divinely given feast, but also a divinely given fast. Verse 16. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, you may, not, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. You shall fast from that tree. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely eat die. Here we have a prescribed, a prescribed fast within the glorious bounty and feast. God wasn't being stingy in keeping them from the fruit of this tree because he had already given them what? The bounty of all, all the other trees. 
But he's giving them a probationary fast within the larger feast. Will they trust and obey? For there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Here's a test of man's trust in God. And if man pass the test, there is the implication of the more full and glorious and eternal feast with God at the tree, not of the knowledge of good and evil, but the tree of life. And so really what we have here is a divinely given liturgy. God calls to Adam and Eve, obey me. Be fruitful and multiply. Have dominion over all creation. Work the garden and keep it. And do not eat from the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. That's His call to them. And they are to respond. There's a call and there's a response. What's the response supposed to be? We trust you. We obey. And if they had, you go from call to response to what? Feast. That's chapter 2 in building our theology of food, of fasting and feasting, but we remember how we started. We remember with our cafeteria food fight. We, we, we come back to all the problems that we see in this world, even in regards to, to food. So something's gone terribly wrong. What's the terribly wrong? We see it in chapter 3. Hear these words, verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say? Did God actually say? You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You'll not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, did you see it? And that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and she ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. There's so much that could be said there, but let me just get you to see quickly fasting food and feasting in the fall. Here in just these few verses, what do we see? We see a satanic food fight. Where does he attack? He attacks with food. Don't miss the focus of that ancient serpent's attack forbidden food. Secondly, notice what their action was. Their disobedience was. It was a wicked breakfast. They were breaking 
from the God-appointed fast, and yet that was wicked. And notice also that it's an idolatrous liturgy. They've, they've chunked the liturgy of hearing God call, responding to Him in faith and obedience, and then with the hope of feasting upon the tree of life, to heeding the call of Satan through the ancient serpent and disobeying God, obeying the serpent and feasting upon forbidden fruit. They exchanged divine liturgy for demonic. And would God stand for it? No. Thankfully, graciously, no. Verse 70. And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. And by the sweat of your face you shall eat. Here's the first introduction of this word, bread. Till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Go back to verse 14. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field, and on your belly you shall go, and dust you shall what? eat all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your, and here the ESV that I like, I don't like how they translate it. Between your offspring, the ESV has, and her offspring. Literally, it's between your seed and her seed. The same word that was used back in chapter 1 about the seed being in the plants and the seed being in the fruit of the trees. Same word. And this seed of her offspring shall bruise or crush your head and you shall bruise the seal. Lastly, quickly, fasting food and feasting after the fall. Work goes from delight to toil. But notice this. It's a word of grace. Did you see it? Did you pick up on it? Although work turns into toil after the fall, what does God promise? You shall eat. You shall eat. I'll still provide for you. And I'll provide food. And the food you should take delight in. And it can be beautiful, but it's going to be hard. Provision of food despite the thorns and thistles. Food that's even bread. And that leads us to the last thing to see. The provision of a Savior seed. 
of a provision of one in whom there is life and life eternal. And in whom there is the hope of the eternal feast. Jesus is the offspring of Eve. He is the hope of Adam and Eve and you. Jesus is the seed. Yes, He's the serpent crusher. Praise God. Yes, He is the offspring of Eve. But He's also that seed, that grain of wheat. He is the bread of life. Jesus is the giver of bread and wine. Jesus is the way to the tree of life. But I'm getting ahead of myself. That's for next week. Between now and next week, delight in food. Give thanks for your food. See food as a wonderful blessing in this cycle of being a human being. Recognize the dangers always inherent in food. And recognizing that you need more than physical bread. You need the bread of life. As you do those things, prepare your hearts. And this is such a joy for me to, to say, to announce. Prepare your hearts for Holy Communion, Lord willing, next Sunday. And next Sunday evening, if you'd like, bring a beautiful picnic meal and we'll enjoy it all on the grounds. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the wonderful provisions that you give to us in your word. Thank you for the provision, the beautiful provision of food. Thank you for the greatest provision of food, and that is the bread of life. Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, who's crushed the head of Satan, who offers himself, his body and his blood on our behalf. The Jesus who calls us to worship and calls us to respond with faith and with love. To this Jesus we come, and in his name we pray. Amen.